0: On today's episode, we'll talk about high net worth women philanthropists. We'll talk more about giving to and by women donors and how that all relates back to cultivating generosity. All that coming up. Small Shop Fundraising is brought to you by Griffin Fundraising and Marketing, a consulting firm here to help nonprofits with their fundraising and marketing goals. Go to gfmky.com to learn more. Hello and welcome to Small Shop Fundraising, a podcast dedicated to small to medium-sized nonprofits and the topics and issues facing them today. I'm your host, Liz Heck. On the episode today, we have Jacqueline Ackerman. You may remember that we had her on the podcast in late 2020 talking about women and their giving styles. There was just so much information. We wanted to have her back in 2021 to help nonprofits learn more about how to kick off to a good start with women donors. Jackie, thanks so much for being back on the show today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's good to be here.
0: How's how's your 2021 going? So far, the first what the first fourteen days, nothing interesting yeah, has
1: happened. right? yeah, no, it's been very boring. No, so boring. I think uh, it's it's been exciting and a little unnerving for for all of us. So just uh, hoping that that things calm down a little bit um, and and we're we're able to focus a little bit more. You know, women's philanthropy seems like a niche topic um, in times like this. But but uh, hoping to be able to focus on that research as things calm down a bit this year.
0: Yeah, let's get back to business of showing generosity, being philanthropic. Specifically today, we'll be talking about engaging women donors. It's more important now than ever before. And so I was clicking around on your website. If you haven't been to the Lilly School of Fundraising's website or the uh, J- Jacqueline or Jackie is the associate director for the Women's Philanthropic Institute at the Lilly School of Fundraising, you'll have to go to their website's. Chock full of information, and I came across this really, really interesting infographic that summed up quite a bit of information that was gathered back in 2018 around giving by and for women, and I, I wanted to talk with with you more about that, and and specifically, this research was for high net worth female philanthropists that we'll focus on today, but I wondered why was this so important in 2018 for, for the Women's Philanthropy Institute to conduct this type of a survey? And how, how did you see this being useful to the sector?
1: Um, sure. This study, uh, giving by and for women, it allowed us to look at, at women's philanthropy from, from a couple different angles. So looking at women philanthropists, we look at high net worth women donors. And then we looked at those who specifically engage uh, nonprofits that um, support women and girls. So philanthropists, but those that are specifically giving to women's and girls causes. And so that kind of, it was, you know, we've looked at both sides of of that equation before. um, And this was our first study where we really looked at the combination. So not just where and how women give, not just giving to women and girls, but the, the meeting of, of those two. I do also want to mention, um, you know, I know I'm representing the Women's Philanthropy Institute uh, on the podcast, but the study itself was conducted primarily by Dr. Elizabeth Dale, who is now a professor at Seattle University. Um, And then of course, there was a whole team that, that supported the work. So I'm just the spokesperson here and and definitely want to give credit uh, where credit is due there. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, there was a whole team on your, there's a project team portion on the actual, <laughs> and that several folks, including yourself, who worked on it this. It
1: takes a whole this, bunch of people. It takes to, a village, out, right? Yes, it's, what, it's one of my
0: mantras, you know. It, it's, <laughs> fundraising is a team sport, and so is the research that goes behind it.
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly. So that is They're a mantra. Right. Of my,
0: you know, a, um, a quote that always pops out to me uh, and has every time I visit your website is, and it comes. It looks like it comes from this particular research uh, document where it says women are becoming extraordinarily powerful around their investing dollars and their purchasing power. We could change the world with those two things. Women changing the world um, is, and specifically within the economy, within philanthropy, I think is something that we all have to, you know, take a, take a pause and think about that. And your document kind of goes into those, those details, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, we, we do look at high net worth women donors here. Um, And, you know, I, I do want to acknowledge that we, we studied, um, this is a qualitative study, so it's interview-based, and I can talk a little bit more about our process there. But it is, you know, when you read this report, you may be thinking, like, well, we have, like, $2 million donors or, like, $0 million donors, um, especially those who are women because they are a, a little bit more rare. And, you know, what what can I get out of this study Um, And so I do want to acknowledge that this study does not describe all women donors or all donors or even all wealthy donors. Um, It's a very uh, niche sort of subject, but we do think that it sheds light on the typical women philanthropist. um, What is her journey? How do women learn about giving? And um, for, for women who you know, most of the women that we spoke to did not grow up wealthy. And so I think that it can tell us about the potential for women who have been essentially primed to be generous. And then when you add in financial resources can become these these philanthropic powerhouses, essentially.
0: Yeah. and And to go back in something that we talked about at our previous podcast, women do give more than men. Mm-hmm. and i'm not talking about dollars and cents i'm just talking about they they start earlier in their life potentially right and they also uh when they find a partner or they find a spouse that is when typically the man in the relationship starts to give more to organizations is that am i remembering that research right that's, that's why good, it's important yes
1: yeah. It's a good summary. Women are more likely to give than men when you hold their uh, certain certain factors equal, like education, income, wealth. They do give higher dollar amounts. um, And that's kind of across the board. They're more likely to give and give more to basically every subsector of of organization. But they do, uh, you know, they're motivated differently. They seek different types of recognition um, and maybe they are giving smaller dollar amounts over a longer time period. And so for for some of those reasons, they're less likely to be recognized as major donors um, by by even themselves, but by the nonprofits that they're giving to.
0: Thank you for that, for that summary. And so that's why it's important. I felt it was important to have you back on the podcast to talk more about this high net worth study and how it could maybe help a little bit frame a nonprofit Small to medium-sized nonprofits' views on their current donors, who may be women, someone that they might find that is it's a high net worth individual or someone who has a capacity to give at a higher level, how that maybe they could talk to them or have a better frame of reference or a better profile of that person, rather than just going in cold and and not not knowing how to grow that relationship.
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah.
0: So so just to get back to the study, I wanted. To, to let the audience know that this was based off of 23 high net individuals. Most of the women were between the ages of 45 and 64. Most of them were married or coupled off. They're highly educated. They mostly work full time. And most of them have a household income of $500,000 or more. Again, this is a study that I wanted to go through with you, Jackie, to and on the podcast for the purposes of helping to frame some kind of reference around where women are with their philanthropy and, and why they do the things they do within philanthropy.
1: Well, let me um, let me just kind of talk about it, sure. if, if that's all right, Please. Um, why, why we did this study in the way that we did it, because you may be thinking or your listeners may be thinking like 23 interviews. What am I going to learn from 23 <laughs> people that that tells me um, about all of my donors, um, and, and so I do want to distinguish um, between most of our research at the Women's Philanthropy Institute is quantitative, so that means it's based on surveys of a large number of people or, or some very large data sets that mean that when we have findings for those studies, we can say, okay, on average, people in the U.S. or women in the U.S. do X, Y, Z. And so, so we've got these big numbers. We can talk in, in depth about these averages. But the drawback to that is that you know, in, in some topics where we don't know very much or we're not exactly sure what questions to ask It's really hard to ask that of like a thousand people in a survey. Understanding high net worth donors and their journey and how they give to women and girls and and what has led them to give there. That's something that's really hard to ask in a survey. It's it's really a lot more about the conversations um, that you would have with individual donors. And so that's what led us to this qualitative work. And so Elizabeth Dale, this professor that that we worked with for this study reached out to an organization called Women Moving Millions. And if if you're not familiar, it is essentially a group of women who come together and they commit to giving. And so Women Moving Millions is, is this great partner to us. They exist to support their members in that giving. And so each member commits to giving at least $1 million to women's and girls' causes over a period of 10 years. It's, it's really member-led, so they can give that million all in one chunk, they can really space it out, um, and they can choose what women's and girls' cause that is, whether, you know, is it reproductive rights? Is it, you know, a documentary film about the, the position of women in the world, et cetera? So Women Moving Millions has been a, a partner of ours for a long time and they even have used our research just this last year they started a campaign called Give Bold Get Equal and used our research on giving to women's and girls' causes to underpin that campaign and and why it's so important to give to those causes but we reached out to them and we just said you know will you help us get in touch with some of these women who are your members so that we can talk to them about their journey and and about why they're doing, what they're doing philanthropically. And so it's thanks to Women Moving Millions that we conducted these interviews with 23 of their members. And that's really where these findings, if if you're looking at the report findings or or the infographic findings on our website, that's really where these findings come from. Um, We go through a pretty extensive process. It's not just like, oh, we listened to these 23 people um, and, and this is what we feel like they said, it really there is this process of going through and coding all of the statements and, and identifying themes and topics and findings that we're not just pulling out of thin air. Um, and so that's that's essentially the process that that we went through. And of course, you know, we always caution. 23 people are not going to be the be all end all of this topic. You will have women, you will have high net worth women, even high net worth women who give to women and girls who are like, you know what? That's not exactly my journey. Or, you know what? That's not really my motivation for getting here. Um, but we hope that this tackles some of the really big picture themes that a lot of these women uh, brought up.
0: Sounds great. Fundraisers, nonprofits are, I, I believe should always be trying to understand their donors more, no matter if they're 23 high net worth women or the donors who give them in the middle range or Mm -hmm. people who just come to their events and, and enjoy themselves but don't actually engage with the nonprofit. Whatever level their donor is at, no matter what that donor type is, that we need to understand our donors in order to lead them to what they are passionate about. And it could be through our organization. And so, and so hopefully just getting a glimpse behind the curtain of sorts, I would gather that not very many small to medium-sized nonprofits have the access to 23 women who give at least a million dollars over 10 years. Exactly. Um, So, so this, this again is just another, another opportunity to lift the veil and get a better understanding of how nonprofits can connect with people who are passionate about a certain thing and want to see it change. So let's get back to this infographic. I will have the infographic link and the link to the report on the show notes. So if you want to take a minute and click on that show note now so that you can see this infographic and we can go through it t- together. It is an infographic on giving by and for women, understanding high net worth donors, support for women and girls. Mm-hmm. Starting with, she learned philanthropy young. What does that mean? How young? Are we talking like mm-hmm. when <laughs> in elementary school? Or are we talking, did she at 20? What does that mean?
1: Exactly. Sure, sure. Well, I, I will preface this by saying one key topic in this report is to look at the philanthropy journey of these women. So what what's the process? You know, these women all end up giving at least a million dollars to women and girls. What got her there? That didn't just happen overnight. And so this theme will come back in, in some of these other points that we'll talk about. But learning philanthropy early in life is that first Stage of the philanthropy journey. Um, I do want to highlight, you know, we've mentioned this uh, a little earlier, but most of the women that we spoke with did not grow up wealthy, but they learned to be generous when they were young. And so young means really young uh, children, uh, you know, elementary and even younger. Beyond just this study, when we talk to any philanthropist, I would be hard pressed to think of an example where someone was like, you know what? didn't really grow up giving. My parents aren't generous, never really experienced any sort of philanthropy. Now I'm rich and I decided to give most of my wealth away. Like you just don't hear those stories. The stories you hear are like the ones in this study where it's like, I didn't grow up wealthy, but I was in the Girl Scouts and my mom was always making big meals and sending leftovers to the neighbors. Or, you know, we didn't really have the ability to give very much but we gave 10 or 20 dollars whenever we could what we know from from this study and then our, our other research is that you don't just create a donor overnight and parents are really key in in helping their children learn to be generous it's not just you you hope your kids grow up to be generous there are things that you can do to make sure that your kids grow up to be generous adults and one of those things is being generous yourself but kids need more than the example um, you might think that they're picking up on on how much you're writing checks for and, and all of that, but maybe they're not. Um, kids need you to talk about it. And so you see people who learn philanthropy young are not only seeing their parents give, but their parents are actually talking to them. They're saying, you know, this is why we put this in the offering plate. This is why we go on Saturday and help pack meals for, for this group of people. This is why we, we give here. So they're really talking about it, too.
0: I can absolutely relate to what you're saying. I have fond memories of my grandmother teaching me about philanthropy and and volunteering. And so absolutely has to come from birth on almost, right?
1: Yes. What
0: about the next one? She believes wealth comes with responsibility.
1: Absolutely. And this, this ties in again to the idea that most of the women we spoke with didn't grow up wealthy. So there's this real before and after effect where, where they weren't wealthy at first. And then they learned they they had learned to be generous when they were younger. And then there's this, it's almost like a reckoning where they're like, Oh my gosh, I am rich. I am wealthy. What am I going to do with this? And I do, as I was thinking about this podcast, I do think uh, you know, your listeners may think this doesn't apply to my donors. I would say that they're middle income, they're not wealthy, et cetera. But just remember that there is tremendous, tremendous amounts of wealth being handed down right now uh, from, from one generation to the next. Um, and there's wealth being created. I know that we're in the middle of this economic difficulty, but big picture, older generations will continue to pass that wealth down to to their Uh, their heirs, their younger generations. And so if you see all donors as having value to your organization and having the potential to grow into a major donor, um, then that is going to really help you in the long run. I think that Donors see how they're treated, um, and you know maybe they see like, oh, I sent a fifty dollars check and I didn't hear anything from right. this organization, and then I send a, a five hundred dollars check, and all of a sudden they want to invite me to all yeah. sorts of things. We're best, but I'm the same person, yeah. You know, and so you never know uh, what donor is going to come into wealth and and decide, you know, this organization has always respected me and treated me well and really appreciated me, even though I couldn't give very much a few years ago. And I've learned about them. I trust them. And and that's where I'm going to give now that I'm more wealthy. Um, So you want to keep in mind, everyone's got that potential. Mm -hmm. um, And and you want to really thank and engage all of your donors.
0: Right. No matter if they give a dollar or they give $100,000, everyone is a philanthropist. So let's move on to the next infographic Bubble, I guess, is what they're called. Um, yeah. She she educates herself. Now, does that mean she's uh, highly educated, has a master's degree, or is that something else?
1: Sure that that's something else. That's where we're talking about her process of, of learning before she's making that that major gift. Um, our report talks about how initially these women will will test out. They'll they'll give a little bit. They'll give a hundred bucks. Yeah. They'll give a thousand bucks their first gift is not that million dollar gift after they oh. become wealthy. They're, they're taking their time. And so, um, yes, these women are, are generally highly educated that we spoke to, but we're talking about the education process about philanthropy. And what that looked like to these women is a, a variety of things. It, it meant talking to fellow donors, kind of connecting. You know, I, I think that these women who didn't grow up wealthy and then find themselves in this this capacity to give big they also feel really alone um you know they they feel isolated maybe they don't know a lot of people like themselves and so using an organization like women moving millions or or some other organization that helps them connect to other women like them Uh, really is part of that education process. They can see like, oh, this is what this person did or this is what this person did and it didn't quite work out in the way she wanted to. Here's what she would recommend I do differently. Um, So it's talking to fellow donors, uh, joining funding groups. um, And then a lot of these women conducted their own research. So for example, you know, I want to fund women and girls in poverty in, Costa Rica, you know it, they don't just give to the first organization that pops up on Google. they're they're calling people, they're engaging advisors, they're conducting research and they're reading research. Um, and, and so they really do go through this process that that seems fairly unique to them.
0: Jackie, is this ah uh, something that the nonprofit themselves can help them? with the education part, or is this something that they do prior to engaging with any nonprofit?
1: Um, It does vary, but we have found that many donors want to learn from the nonprofits they're interested in. Um, And so when, when you ask high net worth donors, you know, who do you talk to? Who do you get advice about your giving from? Yes. Most of them are saying like, oh, my family, my friends, my, my financial advisor, um, but a good chunk of them are going to the nonprofits that they're already connected to for that advice. You know, I, I want to give more. If I gave more, where would that go? What more would I do with that, et cetera? So when a potential donor comes to you and asks for information, I know that a lot of fundraisers will be like, Oh my gosh, I did like three hours of work for this person. And then they wrote a hundred dollar check, you know, and it's like, I get it, and if that person is consistently like that, then you have to set boundaries. But you have to realize that especially with women donors, they're testing the waters. They, right. they may have much more capacity than that. They wanna give you a certain amount to, to kind of justify your time on that. But if they're asking you for a lot of information and they have the capacity to give big, they may be just doing that process of learning and, and understanding if this is a place where they wanna give big.
0: So this next one, I really like it. She takes risks. What does that mean? I love
1: that too. I love it because I think that our conventional wisdom says women are risk averse. Women want to bet on a sure thing. Um, Women are cautious. And- it's well, we do just that say <laughs> they test the waters. I mean, they test the it. waters, they test the waters. But when they do give big, uh, you or know, the waters. women, yes, yes. Well, um, the women that we spoke to, and again, this is not going to describe necessarily all women or all women donors, but these women that we spoke to were not risk averse. They funded experimental initiatives. A lot of them started their own businesses or started their own um initiatives to to fund the causes that they cared about now can can their wealth explain a lot of that certainly um you know if you have more money it's a little bit safer to make these big bets sure. so sure that's definitely part of it but i think that you know if you are approaching all of your women donors by saying like oh you can fund this it's a project that we've been doing for 20 years and it affects this many people you know if you've got an interesting thing that you want to shop around to potential donors or you've got a really innovative idea that could fail and, and you're not quite sure who to shop that around to, you don't have to wait for, you know the the guy to come in who has has you know built up businesses and is obviously, not risk averse. Um, you can you can ask the women donors uh, to do that. They're not necessarily going to to turn you down.
0: Sure, and they they might have some opinion or advice on how to take this risky project and make it less risky uh, based on their ability to you know acquire wealth and acquire successful business, um, depending on mm-hmm. their background, right? Exactly. So it's not just about the the writing of the check, but it's also that valuable knowledge that comes with certain types of donors for risky type projects. Yep.
1: Yeah. Cool. Absolutely. That's
0: that's a really good one. You also have on this infographic that she's all about the ROI or return on investment.
1: Yep. What what yep. does that mean? Well, when we asked, as you recall, all of these women uh, that we spoke to give to women's and girls' causes, and so we wanted to dive into why. Why do you give to women and girls? Um, And a lot of them, you know, we've got a couple different reasons here, but when they when we asked them, they said, it's, it's just a smart investment. It, you know, we think of women as being tugged by the heartstrings, and, and that is part of that. That's in, you know, one of our, our next points coming up. But they also give because it makes sense, not just to the heart, but to the head. If you care about poverty, if you care about climate change, if you care about inequality, a variety of issues like that, you can tackle those issues by supporting women and girls. And, and that's a lot of the the rationale that these women cited when asked why they would give to these uh, these specific organizations and, and issue areas.
0: So they want to see, not so much that they, they don't think they're going to make any money off of it, right? It's it's more about how much of an, an impact. Is it
1: yeah. is it
0: quantitative or is it qualitative? Does it have to be, you know, we served a
1: thousand women?
0: What type of return <laughs> is it?
1: Honestly, it's a combination. Um, a lot of the time, and and keeping in mind that these are high net worth donors, our other research that looks at at donors generally find that uh, men are going to be more interested in that dollar ROI. You know, we we every meal costs five cents, right. and I you should give here because next door it costs ten cents. You know, <laughs> um, that sort of thing. And women do care much more about the stories about like, well, it really mattered to. You know, little little Grace, who who has has a meal when she wouldn't have otherwise, and so um, so this is kind of a, a unique thing about these high net worth and ultra high net worth women, um, are, are that they're looking at it as a smart investment. And because we spoke to these women individually, it, it really varied by individuals. But I think what we took away from the study is why do you give to women and girls? well, no matter what I care about, serving women and girls is going to lead to better outcomes in that area. Um, and, and so it, it was really interesting to see, you know, you care about, if you care about poverty, well, care about women and girls. If you care about the environment, well, care about women and girls, etc. It's really interesting how they drew that line between their giving and all of these other issue areas.
0: So that leads us to the next uh, infographic bubble, which has a great quote in it. Um, She invests in system level change. Now, I think a lot of, maybe not a lot of people think about nonprofits as being, uh, as having something other than, you know, in the trenches. But this Mm -hmm. quote was, "I, I was really interested funding organizations that went upstream and tried to address the root of the problem. Can you talk more about that?
1: Yeah, actually that quote that you've got is is part of, I, I would encourage your listeners to go to that full report if possible. There's so many great quotes in there. It's part of this like kind of disturbing metaphor that this donor shared of like, you know, I see root causes versus direct service as, you know, let's say there's this, there's this river or this waterfall of of like acid. <laughs> and there are people in this lake and and so you've got direct service that's like get these people out of there and and help them but then you have to have that part of people who are like where is this coming from yeah. we're gonna walk upstream and stop it so that no one else needs to even be pulled out of the lake downstream um and it, it's just you know you you have to have both and and uh-huh. so these high net worth women are able, you know, I, I think if you have smaller amounts to give, sometimes you do want to be able to say, you know, I I helped this person um, get healthy. I helped this person find housing. I helped this person eat this week. You want to kind of see that. And systems level change is really, it's long-term it's not immediately gratifying, it's really hard. Um, Most people don't see changes in just a few years. Um, And so these high net worth and ultra high net worth women have kind of the capacity and the education to put their philanthropic dollars toward these things um, and, and understand that they may not see that change. It's, you know, they're, they're, they're planting seeds. They're not seeing the full grown trees and, and they just kind of have to trust that that's going to happen.
0: May not be in, of interest to all women donors mm-hmm. is what we're saying. Exactly. Um, however, there, there is opportunity for all women to invest in systems level change. Mm-hmm. It's just a different, you don't get the same type of feeling potentially back. Yeah. As you would exactly. direct services.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, if you think about it, it's it, and we can think about it in terms of, for example, the the pandemic now, it's much, it's much more gratifying to say, I funded that vaccine, and I'm watching it go into people's arms and protect right. them. It's much harder to be like, yeah, 20 years ago, I invested in this like database that help, you know, like it, right. it might directly lead to the progress that we're seeing today. But it's a lot less exciting right. at the moment. But it can't really draw so a straight important. line to it. <laughs> exactly, right. exactly. So you need you need both, though.
0: Absolutely, you do. You need those two groups of people helping the people in the waterfall acid, yep. and the people stopping <laughs> the waterfall acid.
1: It's just All like, right. yes, this, this interviewee has a very vivid <laughs> way of describing her giving. It was really great.
0: This is back in 2018. So it was very yes, vivid. Yes. Yes,
1: absolutely.
0: <laughs> yes. This last bubble, she's empathetic. Mm-hmm. Can we get a little bit more detail on what that means?
1: Yep, absolutely. And, and I do want to say this, this is something that really mirrors a lot of what we know about how women give, not just high net worth women, But we found, you know, when we asked, why do you give to women and girls? Yes, part of it is about ROI. Part of it is about system level change. A lot of it is I experienced this and Mm -hmm. I don't want other women to have to experience this. Maybe it's uh, discrimination. Maybe it's, you know, not getting as good an education because you were a girl. Maybe it's having difficulty accessing Uh, reproductive or other women's health um, services and and they fund those areas because that's what they understand. That's what they've experienced. And and so they know firsthand that that is necessary.
0: So they're drawing on their own personal Mm -hmm. experiences, no matter good or bad, and wanting those to either not happen, which sounds like it's mostly, or for that to happen to that uh, young Mm -hmm. girl or young woman uh, and and they want to see a better tomorrow for the next generation. Exactly.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: So those those complete the the seven infographic bubbles and it generally sums up that report, is that right?
1: Yep. Yeah. I I mean I personally think the report is really interesting and I find it a lot easier to read reports like this that talk about individual women's stories and quotes. Um, so I do want to point to that longer report, but that's the gist of it. Those seven bubbles really sum it up.
0: And like we just said, this was completed in 2018. Now that we are in 2021, and this is this is your crystal ball question I was telling you about earlier. <laughs> um, so get it out. Now that we're in 2021, and we are still uh, journeying through a uh, worldwide pandemic and there's still quite a bit of civil unrest, what do you believe, if any, is going to greatly change within any of these seven pieces of why women of high net worth give to Mm -hmm. women and girls' causes?
1: Sure. I think um, I am a believer that over the long term, I'm an optimist here. I really hope that in... A year or two, we'll be able to say that's over. Maybe that's too optimistic, but I, I am really hoping that we recover and and we can kind of move forward and say, okay, high net worth female philanthropists, these things are basically still intact. You know, still learning philanthropy, young still looking to to make an impact with your dollars, but still take risks, et cetera. I think those things are so big picture that they transcend the ups and downs of of the few years that we are um, probably heading into of, of economic uncertainty. That being said, we know that women have been disproportionately affected by the economic downturn. The news for women with regard to jobs, um, with regard to incomes, it's really not good. Um, if you're if you've been paying attention to that, And women's philanthropy is going to it's going to be affected by that. You can only have women's philanthropy growing if women are increasing their incomes and wealth to give from. Um and so I think that a lot of of what's coming for women's philanthropy is going to depend on how well we recover economically, what can be done to keep women in the workforce what can be done to help make women whole as they are recovering from health issues or unemployment coming out of this pandemic. So there's definitely a lot of uncertainty, but I, I do think that um, one point I would make that, that this report really helps to make is to look long-term. You don't build a major donor in a week, at least not usually. Um, We know that most philanthropists are raised to be generous, and then they keep that generous instinct as they grow and earn higher incomes. And so you can definitely be aware that the next few years are going to be tough, especially for women, um, especially for women who have lost jobs or or lost income. But the donors of tomorrow are are being cultivated today and you can be generous in in many ways. And and so I think that what this study and a lot of our research has, has taught me is it's really about the long term and it's about cultivating generosity in the big picture and not just Are you growing the dollars that you're giving? You have to trust that if you're teaching someone to be generous, that that is going to stick with them long-term.
0: Lots of good quotes there, Jackie. (laughs) Cultivating generosity.
1: You can't grow a donor,
0: especially a high-capacity donor, in a week. You know, this is really looking long-term. I think this, this type of information, this type of podcast is important as we start down this new path in 2021 no matter what it looks like, we have to recover. We have to recover well in order to continue being in charge of philanthropy as, as women. And so with that, I want to thank you so much for being on our show today again. If, again, if people have questions on, on this particular report or any other questions about, about the Women's Philanthropy Institute, they can reach out to you on your email.
1: Absolutely, and and I do want to thank you because you dug through all of our research and, and found this, and I know it's three years old, but it was such, it, it's such a delight to revisit and, and remember the work that went into this report and to realize that three years on that material is is not dated. It's still important, and it's still important even in this like Weird and challenging time that we're going through now. So I, I really appreciate the opportunity to revisit it.
0: Oh, absolutely! It was fun. It was fun. To, it was it was fun to find. So with that, we're gonna close the show. And and thanks again for being here, Jackie. This has been Small Shop Fundraising. I'm your host, Liz Hack. Thanks for listening.